We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. 1 Timothy 4. Today, Lord willing, we're going to go through verses 1 through 11. And we're going to see that human teachers, which are vessels, and human students need to make sure that the word they're being taught or teaching lines up with what God says, that it's divine doctrine and not demonic doctrine. Because if it's demonic or if it's the lies of Lucifer, then the danger to even God's disciples is absolutely tragic. And so as we go through our study today, I want to share with you four things. Uh, two of them, I guess, are things to guard against. And then two things are, I think are to guard for. You know, you want to make sure these things are, are happening in your life. And the first thing you want to guard against is, we're going to see it as we get through our text, departing from the faith. Look what it says right there in verse 1. Now the ex Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Now that's a really heavy phrase right there. You know, one thing I want to share right off the bat is, uh, you know, some of you, maybe you don't believe that, you know, as a Christian, you can lose your salvation. And you know what? I want to tell you and just kind of, you know, get, lift, lift that burden. That's okay. You know, it's an in-house debate. Some people believe in what's called the perseverance of the saints, and that's all right, you know. But, um, you know, I, I, when I read the Bible and I read, you know, statements like this, I think, wow, this is a, a pretty heavy statement that some people will depart from the faith. You know, over the years, I've seen so many people that, uh, you name it, uh, big, you know, names. Uh, you guys know Billy Graham, right? That's a real common name. Well, he had a good friend of his named Charles Templeton. And uh, in the early days, uh, from what I understand, Charles Templeton uh, had this thing, this gift of evangelism and preaching and teaching that was so anointed and it was so powerful that when they put Billy Graham and Charles Templeton side by side, uh, a lot of people said, this guy, Charles Templeton, man, he has the, 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 the call and the anointing to change the world. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen Billy Graham when he's preaching young. Have you guys ever seen those videos on YouTube? Oh, man. I mean, all through his life, thank God, you know, not a perfect man, but he remained faithful, used by the Lord. But I tell you what, when he was young, I mean, tall and handsome and passionate and gifted, and you, you know, see him there. I think one of the videos I saw was in Madison Square Garden. I mean, just the amazing anointing this guy had. And to think that someone had even more potential than him. Charles Templeton, but then to find out what happened is that he eventually came to his, uh, the place in his life where he was an atheist. An atheist. What happened? He departed from the faith. You know, over the years, I remember Shelly and I, when we got saved, we went through a Foundations of the Faith class, and it was a great class. We went through the whole class two times, and the guy that taught us, the gentleman by the name of Tim Thibodeau, Oh man, you know, you would have just thought this guy is one of the, you know, the most perfect people you ever met. He loved the Lord. He loved us. He was humble. He was a great teacher. But what ended up happening is eventually our teacher, the one who taught us foundations in the faith, he departed from the faith. He left his wife. He left his kids. He's no longer serving the Lord. 
You know, I remember when we were at another church just prior to this one in West Covina, there's a guy who was a head usher, I mean, just used by the Lord in a tremendous way, you know, gifted in uh, uh, carpentry and just really just had such a servant's heart. But, you know, one day, um, this is how it happened for him. He bought a Harley Davidson. Nothing wrong with Harley Davidsons, okay? If you have one, just give it to me. That's all we got to do, man. <laughs> you know, but I mean, you know, he ended up getting a Harley and he started hanging out with the wrong people. And the next thing you know, he met somebody in that setting, which is not, for him, it was not a good setting, and he left his wife. He left his kids. And so we're calling him. We're trying to get him back to the, you know, to the place that he belongs, getting him, getting him back to his family. How could it happen to a man who was being used by God in such a tremendous way? The head usher, I mean, it just blew us away, but he, would ref he refused to come back. So one day he's driving on the freeway. He gets in a, an accident. This has happened uh, with motorcycles. That's why my wife won't let me get one. She calls it murder cycles. And in this case, I'm sorry to say, that's exactly what happened. He died. And so when you're doing the funeral, what do you say? Uh, he departed. He departed from the faith. And it happens like, man, all the time. You know, I always tell people, if you're not falling more in love with the Lord every day, then you're backsliding. You know, you got to go forward. There's no standing still as a Christian. Either you're going forward or you're digressing. Either you're progressing or digressing. And so when Paul writes this, and it's so cool because, you know, that's really one of our, our, our just our passionate, you know, proclamations to you as a congregation. Man, stay with the Lord. Keep coming to church. Keep reading your Bible. Stay in a quiet time in prayer. Always have the heart of obedience. Be so careful because right here we read the Spirit expressly, explicitly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. It's a heavy warning spoken by the Spirit of God to the people of God. Now, just in case you're wondering, the latter times actually began when Jesus came. We know that for many reasons, but the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 calls the days the book of Hebrews was written the last days. And so that was the beginning of what's called the last days. And in these last days or latter times, the Bible says that some will depart from the faith. Now, the faith is a phrase or it's in reference to Christianity as a whole. You know, what we believe in, in order to be saved, what we believe as believers. It's used throughout the book of Acts, including Acts chapter 6, verse 7, where it says the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And so it's a general synopsis of what we believe as Christians. And so he says right here, again, we need to be careful. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. You know, the enemy is not going to stop trying to take you down. And he'll do it in different ways. You know, we're going to see today that it's through doctrines of demons. We're going to see today it's through like heresy. It's always through lies. You know, but uh, we read over in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 8, something different about this sorcerer. His name was Elymas, and it says that he withstood Paul and Barnabas, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
See, and that's what the enemy will do. I don't know how he's going to do it in your life. Sometimes it's through the trials. Sometimes it's through the difficulties that you're going through. And you, sometimes we're like, man, I don't even want to, I, I just give up. And that's the only way we can lose as Christians is if we give up. And that's why we can't. The enemy will always try to turn you away from the faith. And so we as Christians, we need to search our hearts. You know, my venture is that most of you here today are Christians, right? But I don't know for sure. And I don't know where you've been. And maybe you're coming to church and you're thinking that because you come to church that you're a Christian. And I know this is really cliche, but I'm just going to say it anyways. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac, right? You guys have heard that a million times. And I'm sorry, but I always say that to you because it needs to be so clear. You know, you need to make sure that you're right on target with the Lord. Well, my parents are Christians. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make you a Christian. My wife is. My husband is. My kids are. Whatever it is. My best friend is. That doesn't matter. Are you a Christian? Are you really a Christian? That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13.5. It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. There's that phrase again. The faith. Are you in the faith? And you have to test yourself. Maybe you were at one time. Maybe you drifted away. And maybe you need to come back. Because Paul says, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? And so he says right there that the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. You know, there's a really heavy scripture over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 12. It says, beware, brethren. And so who's he speaking to? Christians, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. And that's why we have to be so careful. Our prayer for, for you guys, for myself, it can happen to anybody, is that we are on guard, always aware of the fact that Hebrews also says if we neglect our salvation, if we neglect our salvation, we can drift away. You know, when you die, and who knows when it's going to be. It might be next week. It might be, you know, uh, 37 years from now. What's going to happen between now and then? Will you still be serving the Lord? I pray that you would. And we need to take this exhortation to heart. How we need to be careful, man, that we are on guard from departing from the faith. And you might ask, well, how can that happen? As I mentioned earlier, it happens a number of ways. Look what we read here again in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. See, number one, we need to be on guard of departing from the faith. And number two, we need to be on guard of the lies of the enemy. Here we read about how it happens. It happens when we give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It's kind of interesting, you guys. Did you follow this? Paul basically says the Holy Spirit says this, while demonic spirits say this. The Spirit of God says this, the Spirit of the devil, so to speak, says this. And it's interesting, people can speak and teach the truth under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and other people can speak and teach lies under the influence of demons. That's what he's saying. And here he goes on to describe some of the specifics. Look at verse 
2, we're going to see he speaks of their hypocrisy. And then in verse 3, he speaks of their heresy. Verse 2, he says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And so I pray that we would know, and you know, it's so cool to be able to study the Bible together and just to realize how, you know, it really works as a church that we need to guard ourselves against drifting away, right? Against departing from the faith. Where you're like, well, how could someone depart from the faith? Well, if they pay attention to the lies of the enemy, right? Well, then you're wondering, well, how can these false prophets, I mean, how can they do that? How can they teach things that would lead people to hell? Such terrible things. And this is how it happens. He says there in verse 2 that it, it happens when they're living a hypocritical life, which then leads to a seared conscience. You know, Scripture describes the enemy not only as a tempter enticing people to sin and misbehave, he's also seen as the deceiver seducing people to misbelieve. And what ends up happening is the enemy gets a hold of these false teachers because they let him and they open the doors to the devil in that they're okay living a hypocritical life. And you guys, I just want to encourage you to guard yourself against, you know, in any way being content as a Christian and living a hypocritical life. Because I want to warn you, then, that is a, an extreme danger. If you're coming to church and you're living a double life, and maybe you're out there, and I know sometimes people struggle, but you are with eyes wide open doing drugs or living in sexual sin, or getting high, or whatever it is, you know, you're just, you're not, you're not living the life. You don't really open up your Bible during the week. You don't pray. You're not interested in the things of God. But you come to church and you think you're going to be okay. But then there's this, this voice, this conscience, this telling you, don't live like that. And, and you're, you're cool with being a hypocrite. Man, that's a really dangerous place to be. I'm warning you, you are messing with your soul. That's a dangerous place to be. You know, I think that as Christians, we all have issues. If we think we don't have issues, then we've got bigger issues, right? <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all is struggling with things. But here's the difference, okay? When we have issues, I think that as Christians, we're praying. You know, we're working on those issues. We're striving to overcome any area of our life that Jesus doesn't like. And then once, you know, we do overcome that, if we do, by God's grace, then we move on to the next thing that God shows us as getting in the way of us just being like Jesus. And so we're all there. I'm not saying, you know, we don't have issues, but the hypocrite is the one who is not trying to overcome sin. They're just trying to hide their sin. Is that you? You know, he's actually okay with his sin. The only thing he's really afraid of is if someone finds out. See, that's the hypocrite. And that's an extremely bad place to be because it has the potential to digress to the point of this, having a seared conscience. That's what we read there in verse 2, that these guys speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Oh, man, and you don't want to go there. 
your conscience, the one that tells you right and wrong, right? You guys remember Jiminy Cricket? Did you guys see Pinocchio? And, uh, you know, he was a little grasshopper. I think he was, a, it was, oh, no, he was a cricket. What am I saying, right? <laughs> there is a difference, right? <laughs> I'm just testing you. Anyways, he was there, and he was, he was telling him what's wrong, not just what's wrong, but also telling him what's right. And, you know, Pinocchio needed that. I love the whole analogy there. And I don't know for sure if it was a Christian analogy, but, man, I just love the whole analogy because he was a wooden puppet, and, you know, the whole thing was to make him a real boy. You know, and for us, like, sometimes I feel like I'm a wooden puppet, but I want to be real. You know, I want to be like Jesus. And so, you know, you got the conviction and the, you got the conscience. They're telling you what's right from wrong, you know, and, and, and we have to listen to that conscience. You know, and I thank God that we have that moral compass, that conscience that gives us the general guidelines as to what is right and wrong. You know, and so for us, before we're Christians, we have a conscience, and it tells us what's right and wrong. And then when we become Christians, the Spirit of God lives inside of us, and now we have God inside of us, you know, speaking to us. And what he usually uses is his word to tell us what's right and wrong. And so you have all these things working together, you know, to just lead us uh, to the place that we need to be and the people that we need to be. And it's so awesome. It's so cool. But what ends up happening is if you're okay being a hypocrite, then what's going to happen is your conscience eventually will be seared. And that right there is a very, very dangerous place to be. We need to make sure that our conscience is functioning well. And if it says, hey, that's wrong, then you don't do it. And if this is right, that you make sure you engage in those activities. You know, we read about certain Jews who were convicted by their conscience in John chapter 8, verse 9. Remember when they came to Jesus, they brought the woman who was caught in adultery. They had set her up. They said, hey, we caught her. What do you think? The law says we should stone her. And Jesus said, well, he was without sin. Let him cast the first stone. Then he starts writing their sins on the ground, probably, right? And then their conscience. It was their conscience. It was that just that something inside of them said, you know what? This isn't right. And they dropped the stones. Even them, it was there functioning for a time. You know, we can read about the conscience if you want to in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul the Apostle said we need to strive to maintain a good conscience. Acts chapter 24, verse 16, he says, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. You know, I was talking to an individual the other day, and they were telling me, well, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody. It's just, you know, something that I do. And I was telling them, how can you live with yourself? How can you live with yourself without having that aspiration to be a person of character and integrity? That conscience is a beautiful gift that God's given you to tell you what's wrong. Listen to the Lord, what's right. Life without a conscience would be like life without feeling. Imagine what it would be like. It would be like leprosy. You know, not being able to feel the danger of the fire and you'd get burned or even not just a negative. Imagine not being able to feel the blessing of a handshake or a hug. Or for those of you who are married, the lips of your loved one. If your conscience is seared, then you can't feel. It doesn't function your feelings are dead and you won't know what's right or what's wrong. And what happens is this is how people do heinous crimes. is to make you sad. He tries to keep you from good. 
He wants you through your beliefs and behavior not only to be cursed, but not to experience the blessings of life. See, and it's a weird way. It's a twisted and demented way. But that's the way of the enemy. See, marriage and meals are blessings from above. And even more than that, if the enemy can trap you into a legal relationship with God, then he's got, he's got, you, he's got you in a headlock. See, we're supposed to have a love relationship with God rather than a legal relationship and if he can succeed into bringing you a legal relationship, then you're going to be in bondage. And he's going to rob you of your joy and frustrate you through performance-oriented Christianity, where the focus becomes all that you do and not all that God has done. Imagine if a marriage was only a legal marriage. Imagine that. Now, there you are. You're like, oh, what's your name again? Oh, I think we're married. I got the paper over here somewhere, right? <laughs> No way. You know, marriage is supposed to be this beautiful, intimate, deep, amazing, amazing, absolutely amazingly intimate love relationship. You see? And that's how it's supposed to be with God as well. I mean, the enemy knows if he can twist things around, then he can frustrate you and hinder you in the work that he wants to do, God wants to do, in and through your life. And so we can get married and we can grub, you guys. you got to know that. You know, I, I think you guys know, you're like, where did that word grub come from? And you guys know where it came from, right? The grub worm. You guys know there's a real worm, it's a grub worm. And where did you learn that? The Lion King, be honest, right? <laughs> when I watched The Lion King, I'm like, hey, I don't know what that guy's name is, but he, it's a grub. And I looked it up online just to double check. Yes, there is a grub worm. I remember I had a friend, uh, Jeremy, he went fishing. I think I told you this story before. But, you know, taking this whole thing into context, he says, you know, I can eat worms. I can eat worms. And so there he is. He's about to eat, to worm, uh, eat a worm. And he was all, ooh, you can't do that. He's all, yes, I can. Thank you, Lord, for this worm. In Jesus' name. And he ate it right there and then, man. So try it. Because look what it says right here. It says, hey, verse 4. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is, notice this, it's sanctified, it's set apart by the word of God and prayer. I'll tell you what, man, there's something about, you know, having a meal or, or, you know, maybe it's just you and the Lord or maybe it's other people that you're eating with. There's just something about that that's special and you're just grateful to God for it. And, you know, I believe that when you pray, over your food, it's not just God take away the germs or God take away the salmonella or whatever. Um, I don't think it's just that. I think it's, Lord, um, thank you for the way you provide. Lord, thank you for blessing me. And it's kind of cool, too, because for some of you here, I don't want to sound like weird, but that's pretty much the only time you pray. At least it gets you praying, right? Any of you here like that? No, I'm just joking. Prayerfully, you pray more. But I'll tell you what, you know, I mean, every once in a while I forget to pray when I'm going to eat. The other day I was eating with Greg, the guy that taught last week, and I just started grubbing, right? And he's all, dude, you want to pray? I'm all, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Very rarely. My dog never prays. I know that. He just, he just digs in. But, you know, usually you're like, okay, let's thank the Lord for this food. And you eat, you thank the Lord before you eat, 
And according to Deuteronomy chapter 8, you can thank the Lord after you eat. It says, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord. And so, you know, sometimes my wife will just eat. She said, I can pray afterwards. I can pray afterwards. <laughs> and so we can do both. But anyways, in reading this, I pray that there would be these principles that are planted within us that we need to be on guard against the, the way that the enemy wants to, you know, move us so that we would depart from the faith. Be on guard, you guys. And be on guard against all the tricky, cunning, crafty lies of the enemy, whether it's hedonism or, you know, legalism or asceticism. You know, be, be, be really careful. So those are two things you want to stay away from. Here's a couple of things that you want to, to hold on to. Look at verse 6. Paul says to Timothy, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine, which you have, and I like this, carefully, you have carefully followed. See, we need to guard ourselves, I think, or, or just work always towards the place of always receiving instruction. You're receiving instruction. Paul tells Timothy to teach the truth, that marriage and meals are good, they're gifts from God. And Paul says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith. And here we see the importance of teaching the word, teaching the Bible, the only way for people to avoid the destruction of the devil is the instruction of God. You know, I like the way that Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonians, he says, you know what, you guys impressed me. He said, because when I gave you the word, you didn't receive it as the word of men. You received it as the word of God. You know, and it's so cool when that happens in hearts. You know, and that's our, that's our whole goal. You know, one of the things that, I was blessed. I heard someone, um, they, they were talking about Pastor Chuck, and they said that, you know, well, how do you know, like, what new ministries to start in the church? And he said, and he, he said this, he said, you know, when I hear about a ministry that, that wants to start up, you know, one of my, my first questions is, are they going to teach the Bible? Are they going to be teaching the Word? And he says, and if they are, then I get really excited about that. And that's the way it should be because that's what we want. Think about it. A good minister, a good ministry, teaching the Word. The other day at the Young Adults, uh, we had the uh, Friday night. It was so cool to see all the young adults come out for game night, right? And I don't know if they, were, were, they knew there was going to be like a full-on Bible study, but I, I just was thinking to myself, if we're not going to do a full-on Bible study, you know, then we could, you guys, we can get together anytime and play games. But if it's going to be something connected to the church, if we want to be a good ministry, then we, there needs to be the instruction of God's word. And we had a wonderful time. One of the cool things about the young adults is they're hungry. They're hungry for the word. I see it, and it's just so awesome. And that's what he's saying right here. This is what good ministries do. This is what good ministers do this is the mandate of a good minister of jesus christ and if the minister takes the teaching of god's word seriously then he will also take the study of god's word seriously and only will there be a congregational blessing there will also be a personal blessing that's what he says right there if you instruct the brethren in these things you will be a good minister of jesus christ notice nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed 
And so you can talk to anyone who teaches the Bible. One of the fringe benefits we get is that we get to study it. I mean, think about it. You know, we get to study God's word and we take so much in. And, you know, um, and then we probably give out about 10% of what we take in. But I think part of the reason is, is because when you become a teacher of the Bible, that you're so much more accountable, not only to teach the truth, but to live the life. And that's why, you know, these guys, as we're in the word, that we need to have that nourishment. And we need to take it to ourselves first. Like if we're teaching the Bible, let's just say there's something, you know, some principle, and I'm not living that principle, then, you know, I got to change. I got to, I can, I could never come up here and teach the Bible and not want to live that word. And so you need to be nourished. Paul the Apostle even says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. See, he's first got to take it to himself before he gives it out. And the good minister, he's receiving the word and he's instructing the word. He's taking it to heart himself and he's trying to live that life, right? I don't know. I guess in one sense, I mean, this, this is a different illustration, but do you guys ever make like um, a salsa? Maybe you should bring it. Uh, but it's always good to take just taste different people's salsas. <laughs> but um, sometimes, you know, you're making a salsa and you taste it. And like sometimes my wife will tell me, hey, taste it. You know, to see if it's too hot. Oh, maybe you need a little bit more tomato. Or if it's not hot enough, hey, put, throw a couple of extra serranos in there. And you're kind of tasting it first yourself, you know. And that's kind of how it works. And then, and then you can kind of, you can kind of come to that place of giving it out. See, as a church, we need to guard ourselves from departing from the faith. That can happen to a person. That can happen to a whole church. We need to guard ourselves against the lies of Lucifer. It could be hedonism. It could be legalism. We need to guard ourselves to make sure that we receive instruction, that we give instruction. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church, right? And then the last thing is we need to guard ourselves to make sure that we're always pursuing godliness. Because look what it says in verse 7. It says, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is a Savior of all men, especially those who believe. These things command and teach. See, we need to reject profane and old wives' fables. The Greek word is that word muthos, where we get our word myth from. It speaks of fiction or invention, falsehood, lies. You know, opinions, speculations, sidetracks. Don't go that way. Guard ourselves against those things. Paul tells Timothy that num number of times. And rather, you know, exercise yourself toward godliness. And it's kind of interesting, you know, because like Joy was saying earlier, you know, sometimes God will knock down walls and then he wants to build things up. The Christian life is like that. You put off the old man and then you put on the new man. You can't just put off the old man. And you can't just put on the new man. 
You need to put off the old man and then you put on the new man. For example, it says in Ephesians 4, stop stealing. Don't steal anymore. Instead, start giving. You see the contrast? You stop and you start. In this case, we reject old wise fables. What we do is we reject opinions, speculations, fables, myths. We we don't even go there. (laughs) What do we do? We get caught up in a life of truth that leads to what? That leads to godliness. No, and that's where we need to be. You know, here he says, exercise yourselves towards godliness. The Greek word is that word gymnaso. We get our word gymnasium or gymnastics from it. It means to exercise vigorously in any way, either the body or the mind. Do you guys remember when you were young how you used to exercise? You guys remember? How many of you here played sports? Football? Basketball? Any wrestlers? Oh, man. You remember how hard we worked out, you guys? The good old days, man. I tell you what, I remember being in the gym, in the gymnasium. I remember being there and just having all my, my clothes on, my sweats on, because I had to lose weight for wrestling. And I just remember working so hard, sweating so hard. I mean, I just remember those days, right? And we see it nowadays, right, with the athletes. You, know, you turn on the TV, you open up the newspaper, sports page. Here you have all these guys, all these guys working so hard to get rich, right? Most of them. Uh, yeah, some of them just want to get in shape. But anyways, now you take that illustration, Paul says, and you bring it into spiritual life. You know, remember when you were in your prime and you were trying to really get in shape. You guys remember what shape, getting in shape is, man. You can breathe right, you know, and you just had a decent whatever weight. I don't know. You just, you know, you're there. And I know we all have our health issues and there's different, you know, things like that. And, and, and he says, you know, bodily exercise, it profits a little. But that, that exercise towards godliness, that's what we want to be caught up on. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, it's not about achieving things as far as like man-made, oh, impress whatever who, with that. No way. It's not about impressing men anymore. I guess maybe I'm getting older. I've kind of learned that that's not a good goal. I want to bless God. How can I bless God? By being like Him. By being like Him. And that's why it's important that you study the life of Christ. See how He is? See how He is with sinners? See how He is with people? See the way He is? I mean, was there ever a person that He didn't love? No one. He he loved people. He was real upset with the the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. But other than that, he was really, really cool. See, all I'm saying is that, you know, to exercise yourself toward godliness, work hard towards that. You know, um, 16 times this word uh, godliness is found in the Bible, 11 times in the pastoral epistles, which are the epistles that are, are talking about the conduct of the church. And so the conduct of the church is to be like the Lord. You know, it's really important, it's emphasized to be godly. Nowadays, we find that a lot of people are focusing on their body. They're, they're exercising like crazy. You know, it's interesting. Today, 15% of all Americans have a gym membership. How many of you here have a gym membership? 
out of curiosity. You guys don't want to raise your hand. Christians are different, right? Anyways, <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting. So that's like 450,000 people. They have gym memberships in America, and, and yet only 8% of them use them, right? But anyways, the yearly total spent on gym memberships alone in America is $2.6 billion a year, man. And we are extremely interested in getting in shape and working good, feeling good physically. And there's a balance there. It's okay to do that. But I have seen people, man, and they just get into, into great shape, you know, but they, I wonder, like, man, where, what, if they were to see themselves spiritually, they're all looking, they want this look on their body, and they're so impressed, and they work so hard. I mean, hours, hours, hours a day, and they're focusing on their, and they want to look so good. If they could only see themselves spiritually, because their focus is the outside. Now, God can take care. If, you're, if your motive is, like for me, you know, I kind of want to get in shape because I, I know that I need to serve the Lord, that I need energy, you know. And when you exercise, you get more energy. Did you guys know that? So I want to, but that's the only reason. But I'm not going to be spending more time exercising or working on the outside than I am the inner man. No way. I will never do that. And I, that's what he's trying to say here. You don't do that. You exercise yourself towards godliness. It's important. It's a faithful saying. And it's worthy of all acceptance. And so let's just say you're here today and you're like, but Manny, I want to work out for two hours a day. Okay, I guess if you want to, you can. Then you quiet time three hours a day, okay? <laughs> I would say invest in the spiritual more than the physical. Warren Wiersbe said, certainly we ought to take care of our bodies and exercise is a part of that care. Our bodies are God's temple to be used for his glory and his tools for his service, but bodily exercise benefits only during this life. Godly exercise is forever. And so here you are, maybe you're working out, and you're, you're going to be, maybe you'll live longer, maybe you'll feel better, maybe you'll have energy, but for how long? Your life is a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Then eternity forever and ever, you will have lost all that time that you could have invested in the things that are forever. You see, Paul, in closing here, he just says, you know, this is my heart, and I am so grateful for Paul. We are reaping the benefits of his discipline and faithfulness. That's the way it is. He says right here, this is what's going on in First Timothy chapter 4. He says there, in verse 10, for this end we both labor and suffer reproach. The word labor is a word that means toilsome, wearisome, exhaustion. It's the same word used in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, of the disciples Peter toiling all night. Toiling all night. It's the same word of use of Jesus walking, and then he was weary, eventually weary by the well. See, we have to work hard. We have to labor. And even though sometimes we're going to suffer reproach, right? Why? Because we trust in the living God. And what's God going to do? What does he want to do? He's the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. See, and that's what it's all about, you guys. There is a battle going on for your soul. And the world's against you. Your flesh is against you. We've got these enemies, demonic enemies that are against us. And man, 
what we need to do is we need to come to that place in our life where we not only, you know, enjoy this relationship with God, but then then we're used by God. We're actually used by God to pull other people out of the fire. See, it's about salvation. It's about our Savior. He's the Savior of all men. And what that is is a general sense. The book of Acts chapter 14 says that he provides rain. You know, he keeps this world spinning, that sun shining. He's a savior of all men. It's what's called common grace, but especially of those who believe. And that's where we go from no longer common grace. Theologians call it special grace. And it's no longer a general savior. You want to know what he is now? He's a personal savior. How? Believe. You believe in the Lord. Believe you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And what you need to do is you turn from your sins. So simple, it's so amazing to me. And you just trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you've got to do it in your heart, not just your head. If you're here today and you've been playing games with God, you know, you're not playing games with God. <laughs> You're gambling with your soul. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of getting real and broken and just recklessly surrendered and abandoned to God. Everything, everything today, you've got to give it up. You give it to the Lord. And you watch what he does because this is what it's all about. We move towards that place of just praying, God, Save souls today. What a tragedy it would be if when you died you went to hell because you were playing games with God. I pray that if there is anyone here today who needs Christ as their Lord and Savior of their life, that today, right here, right now, you might not have tomorrow. Today is the day to experience His love. Such a good God. Don't miss that opportunity. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to study your word together and things that we need to guard against, drifting away or lies of the enemy. Things that we need to guard in a positive way. Lord, please keep teaching us. Lord, and please help us, Father God, to make sure that we have that desire, that goal to be godly, to be like your son. And Lord, I pray and I know, Lord, there's no word I can say to talk somebody into becoming a Christian. But I know your Holy Spirit can. I pray. If there's anyone here, Lord, that they're not really saved, that they would trust you today, that they would give you their life. Thank you, Lord, for being our Savior. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you came here today... We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.